Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you, church. It's good to see everyone here that could make it. Um, it has been an interesting start to 2020. I'll say that. <laughs> 2021 oh, 2021 I'm already you know, 2020 that's a that's how much a toll 2020 took on me I'm like you know still still back there but uh you know I I just was just thinking um even on you know that first song uh that Isaiah and Michelle were uh were singing and it's so great like last night um just how you know the light casts out all darkness and um you know, I was telling as I, uh, I'm, you know, uh, always trying to teach Kalos Bible verses, and you know, right now, First uh, John four eighteen is a big one. Perfect love casts out all fear, and you know, he, you know, he's at that age at five years old. You go to bed, and it's like he needs his flashlight on, he needs a nightlight on, he needs the door open, he needs the hallway light on. It's like, how many lights do you need? And uh, you know, the Lord had had to show me that. You know what? I know that we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to have a spirit of fear, right? We're not supposed to. But the Lord knows that we are going to get afraid at times. That's where that verse comes into play. Perfect love casts out all fear and and I, you know, I explained that to him. Well, perfect love, what is perfect love or who is perfect love? We should rather say, we know that Jesus Christ is that perfect love and he casts out all fear and so, you know, I used that old example, close the door and you know, turned off the light and, you know, and it was completely dark. And as soon as I lit that switch, I mean, the darkness fled and it was just nothing but light. And, you know, whether you look at that physically or spiritually, the fact remains that it's the light of Jesus Christ that casts out all of that wickedness, that darkness, that unholiness, that unsettling, all those different things that tamper and try to mess with our, 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 our countenance and our mind throughout the day. Uh, so just, you know, be encouraged in that as I try to encourage my son last night that, you know what, you know, trust in Christ, cling to him, invite him in your heart. And even when you are afraid, that perfect love is going to cast out that fear. And instead of that fear, you're going to have the peace and the joy of the Lord. You're going to have that peace that passes all understanding. Amen. We need that today in our day and age more than ever, I do believe. All right. With that, we're going to be wrapping up Acts chapter 21 this morning. We're just going to be going over three verses, but there is so much meat in these three verses. It's going to take up our entire time here this morning. So when you get there, if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Acts chapter 21, verses 37 down through 40. I'll go ahead and begin and read, and then we'll go ahead and pray and get into our message this morning. So it says, starting in verse 37, As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia, Cilicia, if you want to pronounce it that way, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, 
he addressed them in the Hebrew language saying, you'll have to wait for that part next week. Let us pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your omnipotence, meaning your power over all things. Thank you for your sovereign will. No matter what the circumstances look like, if we live to honor you, you're going to bring good out of it. Even people that don't live for you, you use people and their wickedness to advance your agenda. And so, Father, help us to see in your light today. Help us to see the truth of the circumstances that we are in are all being orchestrated to one final end, one final goal, and that's to glorify you, your Son. And so we just pray that you would speak to us through your word now. We thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen and amen. Let it be so. The truth of God's word. Let it permeate the creatures of the earth. Let God's word permeate your being so you are overpowered by the power of the word of God. Today we will get to see this interaction between Paul and his jailer before he was granted the opportunity to speak to the Jewish people. There's been a whole lot that's gone on up to this point, but now Paul is bound, shackled, and with this Roman soldier for his own good. Because remember, the, the, the mob, uh, the unrest of these Jewish people that, that wanted him dead, they were going to kill him, but the Roman officer had taken him away in order to try to sustain peace in that area probably more so for the structures and the buildings and all that and well also too they didn't want any kind of upheaval and any revolt or else caesar's hand would come down hard upon them so they were trying to keep things in order up until this point paul had not only been accused by the jewish elders of the temple right they were telling him hey we're hearing that you're you're teaching that Jewish people, once they're converted, cannot keep the Jewish customs. And that was causing a big stir amongst the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the elect of the Jewish elders. But he was also being accused of this by the larger society of Jews in general. So it was, again, this mob mentality, like 20 verses 1. All these people pinned against Paul and saying, you're wrong what you're doing is not right so he's was going through this even though we are covering covering again just three verses this morning there is much to learn from paul's experience we will learn what faith and genuine conversion look like under severe persecution this is the setting of our text this morning as we wrap up acts chapter 21 There are several main points this morning, as always. And the first point is this. Looks are deceiving. Looks are deceiving. This is a point that we're going to carry on from last week. But the reality is, when you take a look at something, anything in particular, just because it looks a certain way, it could be very deceiving. There's been how many times have some have people, you know, went to uh, you know the car dealership. That's a that's a classic one. The car looks beautiful. They just 
you know, gave it a new paint job. They put some new tires on it. Everything looks nice. You open up the doors and, you know, the uh, the dashboard, it, it just got sprayed down with some form of armor all that's never going to come off. And, you know, it, it just, it's all sticky and all that. And it looks so nice. The minute you turn the ignition and you take it on the road it starts clunking and you know fumes are coming out of the exhaust pipe and you know you got all kind of mess within the first week that you purchased the car um, looks are deceiving we need to look beyond what we merely see with our physical eyes to really uncover what is going on behind what we see when the masses assumed paul was teaching something he wasn't all kind of chaos broke out they assumed that Paul was teaching that they could not keep their customs again. They were so stuck on that. I wanna, I wanna be with Christ, but is it okay to keep my customs? They thought that they couldn't, and they put it on Paul that he was teaching them that they could not keep their customs. And because of that, all kind of madness and chaos and violence ensued. Today we will see that this Roman guard who was assigned to Paul just simply regarded him as an uneducated fugitive based on what the crowd had said about him because they were fickle in their dealings with Paul and the way they ambushed him and violently attacked him and accused him of something this Roman soldier regarded it as well this must be true because why are all this mass of people coming at this one man had it not been the truth he had formed his judgment of Paul based on hearsay and Paul's appearance. This is something that we've all experienced at some point in time in our own lives. We have either been on either side of the fence of this or both sides of the fence where we judged a book by its cover or we were judged prematurely based on what somebody thought about us for the way that we looked or the way that we talked. We are to measure a person by the content of their character, not merely by their appearance. There are many biblical examples to point this out. We are not to walk in this life by mere sight. We are to walk by faith. And that is at times very difficult to do when you are told that you must trust the Lord, though you can't see What's on the other side? When you're in a circumstance where all that's around you seems to be falling apart, dread, despair, discouragement, you see it in all the people around you, but you are supposed to hold it together and have faith. But again, this is where leaning upon the Lord, not your own understanding, comes into play. But we see this here. How many times have We've been tempted to throw in the towel because of discouragement, because of the chaos, because of the bitterness, because of the ensuing chaos that seems to continue to swarm all around us. Dare I say we are all experiencing that to some magnitude or another because of the situations that we are all thrust into due to this pandemic which really, I don't even want to call it a pandemic anymore. I really see it as these are just more birth pains that are leading us into the time of the Lord's return, which can be said ever since he left, right? Time is short. Just to clarify what that means is really the Lord Jesus Christ is trying to tell people, be prepared. Every generation is supposed to be prepared. 
Every generation is supposed to be prepared. If you pass on before he comes back, that just means, hey, your time came up then. Some of us are going to be here when he comes and we're going to be raptured with the church. Either way, be prepared every day. Don't take any day for granted. Don't sit on your laurels one day and be like, I don't need to be in the word. I don't need to be prayed up. (laughs) I don't need to have a desire to be in God's word. The Lord says he reveals himself to those who desire him. If your heart's desire is to know him, to know him intimately, he will reveal himself to you in a manner that he may not reveal to other people because they don't have that same desire. We ever want to know, man, why does that person, why is that person, you know, why is that person like that? Why do they just seem so, and they're going through so much? It's because they have a deep desire to know the Lord. And that deep desire, it definitely comes through in times of turmoil and despair when they're able to have that joy, have that peace that the world does not understand. They just don't get it. And praise God that he has spared Maria for this time being. I her recently that she went home so uh, we'll make a a little quick announcement about that later about trying to help out how we can with her but uh, these are the things that we see the Jewish people were guilty of doing this to Jesus this whole judging a book by its cover seeing him in the physical making their assessment of who he was based on what they merely saw and going ahead with it. They didn't regard him as the Messiah because he didn't come to them wearing splendid robes like the Pharisees. He wasn't, he wasn't endowed in a, in, a, in a purple garment that symbolized royalty, but he came as a mere man and, and, and as a humble man, the son of a carpenter in earthly form. He came to earth as a suffering servant, not a military leader, they were expecting to free them and liberate them from the oppression of Rome. And yet, this same God-man was the savior of the world. They, 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 they just, they, they missed it. They did not get it. They were completely wrong about who Jesus actually was, as the jailer was completely wrong to whom Paul was. That's our first main point. Looks are deceiving. Don't judge a book by its cover. The next main point is this. No matter what your situation looks like, never doubt what the Lord can do through it. So here we are finding Paul in a very terrible predicament. He had just been rushed by an angry mob trying to kill him. So bodily harm has been done. I don't know if you've ever been in a physical fight and have been caused to bleed. It doesn't feel good. Or if you've been, you know, uh, I don't know, cooking and you accidentally cut your finger while you're trying to chop onions. or It doesn't feel good, especially with onions. Oh, man, that get onion getting that fresh cut. It's going to burn. It's going to hurt, right? Getting pummeled and punched in the face, getting beat with some kind of object is not good. There's all kind of things that can go on, internal bleeding, which is probably worse than just getting a black eye where, you know, or getting a, your eye split open. At least you can fix that internal bleeding. I mean, that can be very bad. You can die very quickly. So these kind of things were going on with Paul. He, had, he was experiencing this, being attacked by an ag- angry mob trying to kill him. Now he finds himself being taken away by this Roman soldier. In Paul's predicament, 
He could have easily felt sorry for himself. Woe is me. This sucks. I don't deserve this. I came faithful to Jerusalem. I came faithful to you, Lord, when you knocked me off that horse and you told me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? I've been faithful to you, Lord. Why is this happening to me? He could have felt sorry for himself. He could have complained. He could have easily denied Jesus Christ or even blamed him. I don't know. Maybe there's times where we've actually gone there and we've said, Lord, why? Why did you let this happen? I read an article a couple days ago and a lady was very upset. Could un- understandably. Her eight-year-old daughter passed away. But this lady's perspective was, God, you did this. You allowed this to happen. How are you merciful? I know what hell is because I'm experiencing this life without my daughter. Pray that that woman's soul gets saved before she perish. Because even though it is excruciatingly painful to have to bury a young child, that's a parent's worst nightmare, is for them to outlive their children. To have that child die. Still, the Lord is sovereign and it's a fallen world we live in. And we don't know the ultimate wisdom of God. Maybe in God's ultimate wisdom, it was, it was a better position for that young child to die here and be with him now than for her to endure whatever was going to go on. But the mother couldn't see that. She was in emotion and anguish and pain. And she responded by blaming God. These are all the different positions that Paul could have taken in his circumstance. He could have denied God. He could have complained. He could have blamed Jesus for his situation. But, he, but instead, this is what Paul did. He looked at it as an opportunity to share his faith and the gospel message. By reaching out to the guard, asking if he could speak to the crowd, the Lord used this horrible situation and opened up the door for the gospel to go forth. Many of you may find yourself today in an unfavorable situation. It may be that way by man's perspective. It may be that way by your own perspective in your flesh. None of us like pain. None of us like to suffer. None of us like the discomfort of the difficulties of this world. None of us do. But if Jesus Christ is your Savior and your Lord and you believe that to be true and you know that in your heart then you have favor with the most high god no matter what your circumstances look like and that should be a cause for rejoicing not in your circumstances but in the fact that you know the true and living god that's going to see you through your circumstances and the most difficult circumstance of all that we're going to face again is when we all have to come to that chasm and we have to say goodbye to our loved ones here but we know that we're going on to a future glory in heaven eternally with the Lord God Almighty forever. And so all these different circumstances that we go through, they just are a culmination to lead us to the point where we could have that ultimate faith to be like, Lord, I'm at peace. You can take my soul, have your way, have your will. We could do that now and be like, Lord, have your way, have your will. I can guarantee you it's going to be less of a pain and a strain than it is if we were to kick against the goads, meaning reject what the Lord is allowing into our lives and fight it and fight it and fight it. I've done that many years ago and 
I look at the time I wasted, but praise God that he restores the years that the locusts have eaten. But uh, still, it's, it's crazy when you think about it. You waste a lot of time. I waste a lot of time when I fight the Lord instead of allowing his will to be done and finding some form of joy in him despite your circumstances. The third main point is this, and it's kind of like the second, a little bit of a different twist, but the Lord God is sovereign over all his creation, good and bad, and he will cause all things to work together for his purposes. Again, even in the worst of situations, God can bring out good. By all accounts, the situation that Paul was in was not a winning situation. It wasn't it wasn't something that anybody would wake up and say, sign me up. I'm good to go. I want to get beat by a bunch of people. I want to get thrown in prison. Uh, you know, you take a, lo- a list at Paul's life after he was converted and he went through a lot. And I think that's why many Bible scholars and Bible teachers, you know, not that we should regard any servant above any other servant but certain servants of the lord people tend to gravitate to more or use it as, as an example of more and we'll we see this in paul there's a lot that he went through there's a lot that he had to endure for the sake of christ so take it back to what led paul to this situation so paul vouched for these four men remember the the elders said hey we want you to pay for these men so they can perform their vow they can get their head shaved this and that So he did that, and despite him doing this, putting up money for them to be able to go into the temple, get their head shaved, perform their ceremonial rite, their their vows, these customs that were accustomed to the Jewish people, he wasn't congratulated. (laughs) Nobody gave him a high five and said, way to go, Paul, way to go for backing up your Jewish brothers and showing that you are about us as well, that you're not just for the Gentiles, that you're not teaching something that, that, that we think is wrong. No, he wasn't congratulated. He wasn't, he, there were no handshakes that were given out. There were no pats on the back. Instead, he was brutally attacked by a mass of people who didn't really seem to care that he had done this for these men. But as bad as this attack was, the Lord allowed it and it put Paul in a position to speak to the Jewish community at large very interesting a very difficult circumstance the lord allowed to happen but in that allowment if i could say that it provided the opportunity for the message to get across to way more people at one time than it ever would have if the lord didn't allow it to happen i'm sure in your own life you have seen great miracles come out of tragic circumstances just think about your life think about the things you have been through horrible circumstances but they produce great miracles in your life and others all you have to do is look at the word of god this happens all throughout scripture really all you need to do is look at the first book in the bible in genesis (laughs) adam and eve My goodness, they had perfect communion with God, unhindered to the fact where they weren't ashamed. They were what we call naked. They didn't trip on none of that. There was no 
shame. There was no fear. There was no coveting. There was no lust. There was no guilt. Then one wrong move, one wrong move changed it all forever in the sense of it not being like that. It was gone. That perfect communion was broken and sin entered their hearts and in this world. And we were, we were talking about it during prayer. Just, you know, you get older, my goodness. You know, I feel the effects of sin in my life for the fact, and I don't care that my hair's getting gray, but the fact that, man, my back hurts. I'm only 42, and I'm like, my back hurts? Bending down like this for a long amount of time hurts my knees? You know, all that is a sign of death is coming. Physical death is coming. Physical death is a direct result of sin entering the world. We all know we were not supposed to die physically right we were supposed to be immortal in the bodies that the lord gave us but then you know sin entered the world obviously he knew all that i I can't explain that that's way past my sphere of understanding but in his infinite wisdom he understood he foreknew that man was going to fall and he was going to give his son as the redemptive uh savior to save the world but in all this originally we were not supposed to experience all these things work was supposed to be fun it wasn't supposed to be toil. I don't even know if we, we would even have sweated and we would have had perspiration had sin not into the world. Now we got to get stinky and nasty. And, you know, uh, Revelation talks about, you know, we're going to have the opportunity to eat, right? The Lord, uh, you know, at the Lord's table, the, the banquet and, the, you know, the, the, the wedding feast. You don't have to eat in heaven, but the option's going to be there. I don't know how all that's going to work and if you're going to wear all your waist goes. And I, I don't know. But I know, and I'm not getting, I'm not trying to get graphic and nasty, but you all know, I mean, I got two little ones and, you know, I've got one that has still got a diaper on. Poop stinks. It's nasty. And when you're dead, you got to get in there. Man. Uh, you know, that wasn't supposed to be the case, but sin entered the world. So we see this. It seems that nothing good could ever come from this situation. Adam and Eve broke perfect communion with God the Father. What was the first thing they did? They lied. Actually, I think they tell the truth. Adam said, I'm hiding. But then he denied and said, it wasn't me. The woman you gave me, she gave me this fruit. I ate it because she gave it to me. And then she said, well, the serpent gave it to me. So you already see just in that, just so much that's gone on. And we see that same action today. Deny, deflect, point it to someone else. It's not my fault. It's the community I live in. It's the circumstances I was brought up in. If I would have been brought up with a silver spoon in my mouth, this none of this would have happened. We got excuses for everything. Back to this point. It seemed like nothing could come, good can come from this circumstance. But the best example we have is Christ's death on the cross. Man, for the Jewish people, for those who did believe he was the Messiah, you came. Everything's going to be all right. And then he dies the most worst death you could die, being nailed to a cross. Even Roman, the Romans wouldn't even allow their own, the worst, the worst rapists, murderers, killers wouldn't even be allowed to die like that because it was so embarrassing. How could something good come from that? That's our greatest example. Again, we, we, we always want to see where's Christ in the text. 
Jesus going to the cross and dying, laying his life down, I should say, because he's God. He, he didn't necessarily die. They didn't kill him. He laid his life down. But in that, such a horrible death yielded the most beautiful results. From his shed blood sprang forth eternal life for anyone who would desire to receive it. So hopefully we can see this vivid picture of despicable circumstances can bring about great miracles for the Lord. All right, let's look at verses 37 and 39, and it reads, As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, speaking of the tribune, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men out of the assassins, excuse me, of the assassins out of the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. Okay. So first off here, we see Paul was about to be led into the barracks. He asked the commander a question. At first, the Roman commander thought Paul was a terrorist. And he was surprised that Paul was an educated man and could speak Greek. The language was a surprise because both the language and the phrasing showed that Paul was a man educated in the Greek world, not a rebel rouser. And so this is our first main point going to that. Again, about judging appearances based merely on what they are. The Roman officer saw as soon as he heard Paul speak, he was taken back. He said, wow, this is an educated man. This is someone not of who I thought he was. The phrase itself was a surprise because it seemed too polite and reserved. Remember, Paul had just been beaten by an angry mob of people. They tried to kill him. Think about your own life. If an angry mob just beat you with billy clubs and tased you and I don't know what, throw rocks at you, fists at you, what is, what is your response going to be? Obviously, it would have to be supernatural in order to be in the manner like this. This man is speaking as he is calm and collected. You would expect Paul to be screaming, help, help, and not, pardon me, sir, do you have some gray poupon? <laughs> right? He's so calm in his demeanor. And maybe that's showing my age. So the only young Emily's probably like, what, what are you talking about? I've never seen that gray poupon commercial. That's old school. Question. How do you respond when you face adversity? The reality is how you and I respond to adversity is going to reveal to us a lot about ourselves and where we are in the Lord. So an example of this, I'll use myself as an example. It is what it is. You guys know I'm far from perfect. But man, this pandemic and working from home and having my son home doing Zoom schooling, uh, it's no joke. It's no joke. If anything, it's totally revealed, you know, yes, God has made men and women in specific ways for specific things. And I think there's a definite 
side where my wife would excel a whole lot more than me. I think I'm a bit more heavy-handed, and man, I lack impatience so bad. Uh, it's just it's just the reality, you know. And it comes out in this. Um, couple that when when I, couple that when I do have my daughter as well, several days. Uh, out of the week and it's the three of us there alone all day from until you know from when we get up when my wife leaves for work until later when she comes home and let's just say many times I find myself frustrated lacking patience what that is revealing to me is the Lord is trying to show me man bro you need to grow in these areas (laughs) you need to grow in these areas and it's it's not easy but if it was easy, you know, it wouldn't be worth it. But still, it's it's very it's been very challenging this past year uh, doing that, dealing with working from home, studying, having my son there, bouncing off every couch and in almost into the windows, and making sure he's not knocking my daughter into the entertainment center. And I mean, you know, it just you know, it's just, I guess I guess it is just parenting. But you know, I'm like I'm using the pandemic as the the scenario because that's where I see it. You know, I I didn't normally I wasn't normally with them for that extent of time. The first application to this uh, this this principle is this. We need to respond to the adversity we face in this life with the power of the Holy Spirit. Simply that. Meaning, we need to be under the control and the influence of the Holy Spirit to be able to hold it together and to not lose it. Whenever you've been able to keep it together in the sense of you're you're not falling apart, wanting to go administer harm to someone, you're not speaking out of your mind, going crazy, beating holes in walls, right? Because uh, it, it gets like that. When you're able to harness your emotions and not go... Because, right, there's some people, when something crazy happens, I just... My wife just read me a story. A 17-year-old boy somewhere in the South went to go visit his girlfriend, had a dispute with his father. The father didn't want him to go. Later on... The next day, the girlfriend saw an alert that a bunch of people had gotten shot in that area where the boy lived. Come to find out, this boy, and I will say boy because I don't believe he was 18, he went home and he shot and murdered every single person in that house. He had three, four other siblings. There was only one young sibling that survived, but the mom died, the dad died. The other siblings that were there died. And one of the ladies that was there that died, she had she was pregnant and she was about to give birth to the baby the next day. So they counted the fetus as another life that was taken. All of this occurred because this young man was upset. And dare I go there and say, I don't believe he was saved. He was under the influence of a demonic spirit. And because he was frustrated, he went from... Feeling frustrated, thinking frustration to I'm going to grab a gun. I don't know where he got the gun or how he got it. And he pulled the trigger and he took all kind of people's lives. When you do not have the Holy Spirit influencing your life and your decision making and the faculties of your mind and your emotions and your well-being, you will find yourself in these unstable situations and circumstances. And unfortunately, We see this kind of thing all too often in our world and in our country where people are losing their minds 
They have no control over themselves. And they are at the will of some unclean spirit that's looking to inflict damage and harm upon people left and right. With Paul, we see the exact opposite. He was calm and composed. He didn't react with his emotions. He wasn't out of control. We see this best in Jesus Christ. What does the Bible say? Despising the shame, he endured the cross. I mean, for them to mock him in such a way where they would weave together a crown of thorns and throw it on his head and spit upon his face and mock him in that manner, and for him not to react back, but to be very calm and composed as you know, he would respond when he did the few times he did, that shows a great deal. That shows a great deal. That, that, that's, that's, that's real power. That's real power, not bullying someone. That's the weakest, cheapest form of power that someone could ever wield is to what we would like to say, you know, when I was growing up, punk people, punking someone, being a bully. That's the cheapest form of power. It's not even power. It's, it's cheap intimidation. Real power is under control. It's like a horse that's been broken that can be tamed is very powerful but is under control this happens in our life by the influence of the holy spirit the second application to this principle is this instead of jumping to conclusions we just need to hear people out to an extent I'm not saying let people go on and on and on, but we do need to hear people out instead of jumping to conclusions. How many times have we ourselves or we have witnessed a wrong being done to someone based simply on how they look or their makeup? It's very disturbing to recall the countless times I have witnessed firsthand or I have seen and been a victim myself of some form of discrimination. And it's not just racial or cultural. I see this all the time with a group of people special needs people they're consistently discriminated against some of the brightest personalities you would ever come across some of the brightest minds are those that by their mere appearance they seem to be like they should be passed off as hopeless but that should not be the case sexism is another form of discrimination that happens often now please hear me out i am in no favor of this all-inclusive movement which ties Satan's attempt at world domination through world politics, economics, and religious systems. But I do believe people should have equal opportunity for most careers. Notice I say most. I don't believe that women should be in certain, in certain situations, and I don't believe men should be in certain situations. You know, hey, you want to talk to me about that later? We could talk about it. I have a biblical stance on it. That's what I believe. It is what it is. Anyways, let's move forward. That's another rabbit hole I do not want to go down. Maybe I should have kept my mouth shut, but I didn't. Okay, talks about this Egyptian next. The Egyptian mentioned here, also mentioned by the Jewish historian Josephus, led a ragged army of 4,000 men to the Mount of Olives where they declared they were going to take over the Temple Mount. Roman soldiers had quickly scattered them, but the leaders got away. So this soldier basically thought Paul was leading a similar type of revolt. 
Next we see that Paul addressed himself as a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. When Paul identified himself to the Roman commander, it put him in an entirely different standing. He was a citizen of Tarsus, not a suspected terrorist. He then said, I implore you or I ask you permission to speak to the people. At this moment, with his life in danger from an angry mob, and he was suspected of being a dangerous criminal, Paul had one thing on his mind. Again, he wasn't feeling sorry for himself. He wasn't blaming the Lord. He wasn't blaming the people. He had this. He wanted to preach the gospel. Again, it's amazing that Paul could think and speak so clearly considering he had just been beaten. Now this right raises a question with some of the people who are critics of the Bible. They say that this point right here proves that this account is, is fabricated. It's not real. How could he in any reality speak like this when he had just been beaten? What they don't take into account is the power of the Holy Spirit and Paul's great passion. This is important here, folks. The application is this. We are to never count out the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This was beyond a simple fight or flight response to the situation. This wasn't just that. This was the Lord's sovereign will over the situation. Everything looked hopeless by all accounts. But the Lord caused all these events to work together. This Paul being anointed. This is Paul being anointed. He, he had the anointing on his life to get through this situation. Anointed by God to accomplish his purposes. And this difficult situation of him being beaten provided the perfect opportunity for him to address the large population of Jewish people. So this is very important too. Anointing. To have the favor of God upon your life. You see, the anointing is very important. And in, 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 in some churches, unfortunately, we've forgotten that. And we've traded anointing for, oh, he's a good speaker. Or he, he, he looks the part, right? Remember, when they went looking, they looked at all Jesse's kids. And what happened? David was in the back. Little runt. Didn't look like the king. Again, don't judge a book by its cover because the Lord does not do things in the manner in which we would particularly do them. But we have traded the anointing for things that are worldly. You need the anointing upon you in order to go forth with whatever it is the Lord is trying to do in and through your life so He can get the glory. Many have, have not put anointed men in the pulpit but they have put men of their own liking in the pulpit to do their will so they can hear what they want to hear. If the word of God is not being spoken through the anointing that he puts on a person, it's not going to have the effect it's supposed to have. Anyone that forces themselves into the pulpit does not have the anointing. Many times it's people that don't even want to do it. But the Lord's like, I have an anointing on your life. That's me. I will say, I did not want to do this. This was the last thing I ever wanted to do. Now, I can't, I can't wait to get in the pulpit and teach and preach. 
but that's a that's a work that the Lord has done in my life in my heart over the course of many years I didn't even realize there was an anointing on my life that's another thing many times the people that have when you have an anointing on your life you're the last to even figure it out everyone else sees it and you're like yeah right it's not me all of us who are children of God have an anointing upon our lives it's not just meant for people who stand in the pulpit but what I'm trying to say to you is this in order to be used effectively you need to have the anointing of the Lord on your life that's why just saying in Jesus Christ's name I rebuke that unclean spirit that don't work we see it in scripture what are those men we're trying to use Jesus's name and what they got whooped up buck naked bleeding running away because they didn't have a relationship you can't just use the name of Jesus Christ if you don't have relationship if you have relationship use it all you want use it all you want the Bible clearly says worry about nothing pray about everything use the name of Jesus I don't care if it's a hangnail Lord Jesus please take the pain away <laughs> if it's his will he's gonna take the pain away in Jesus name if not well it's his will you're gonna have to get through it don't let it get infected I'm just saying the anointing is very important let us not trade the anointing of God for just mere eye candy because that's a shame Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 and 7 tells us 5 excuse me Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 through 7 tell us this trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths be not wise in your own eyes fear the Lord and turn away from evil we need to remember and apply these biblical principles to our lives today it's very important despite this challenging situation Paul had to trust God with his life it was probably not easy with Paul in a position to take a physical beating. And I'm sure, but I'm sure he did remember the scripture that states, and this is Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy the body, the soul and body in hell. Simply put, we need to be more concerned with our conduct before our Lord and Savior and how He sees us rather than so be so concerned about mere men and what they could do to us. Yes, we, again, we've already talked about it at the beginning of the message. We are all unfortunately going to have to die a physical death. Hopefully it's one of those where it's like, I'm in bed, I'm in a dream, I never wake up, <laughs> no pain, all peace. You know, not 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 some some object getting stuck in you and getting ripped. I mean, it's just crazy when you think of war. It's so savage. That's again because of the fallen nature and, and us having to defend ourselves and fend off people that would want to inflict harm upon us. We would create something like an arrow or a knife. Do you know whatever goes inside? <laughs> It doesn't just slide right out. Maybe I'm being too graphic, but I'm just keeping it real. When it goes inside, it, it cuts hard going in, and then it rips whatever it already cut coming back out. That's excruciating. Gosh, that sucks. I don't want to die a death like that. Many people, unfortunately, have gone down that road and had to die a physical death. That's very difficult. But we should be more concerned about the Almighty God who not only can destroy our physical body, but he has the ability to say, you know what? You didn't receive my son. You trampled upon his blood as if it was commonplace, unfortunately. Now you have to be apart from me for eternity. Ooh, 
That's so much worse. I don't, you can mutilate the body as much as you want. That's nothing compared to being apart from the true and living God for an eternity. In pain, in torment, in regret. And still having the presence of the Lord upon you. Because people will say, God's not in hell. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because the presence of God is there. And that's part of the torment. Yes, the fire, the brimstone, the gnashing of teeth, all that stuff is real. But I really do believe the biggest thing is the regret every soul is going to have for hearing the name of Christ and hearing the way to salvation and continually, day after day, after year, after year, after decade, after decade, denying Him, saying, I don't need it. I don't need to go that way. My soul doesn't need to be saved. I'm going to have good favor with God when I get to heaven because I'm not a murderer. I'm not a killer. I'm an okay person. I'm a good person. Being a good person doesn't cut it. Nobody's a good person. We're so deceived into thinking we're good people. That's why I bring up, how are you doing? Are you broken? I'm broken. We're good. Because we're broken people. It's okay. Accept the reality of who you are. Then you have freedom. But living in denial, you might be the only person that thinks you're good. <laughs> because if you saw me with my kids, you'd be like, dude, that ain't the pastor. My gosh, that guy needs to calm down. I'm just keeping it real. It, just, it gets crazy like that. I love what Alistair Begg says. He would say that, like, you know, talk about him, and then he would be like, if I, and if I saw what you guys were like on your private, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be your pastor. So it's like, it is what it is, man. We're just people. We're all broken people that need the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Okay, last verse. Acts chapter 21, verse 40. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, so when he had given him permission, so this, this jailer had given Paul the permission to speak. The Roman commander brought, bound Paul with two chains because he suspected Paul was a troublemaker. Yet he gave Paul permission to speak to the crowd, probably because he had hoped Paul's speech might quiet the mob. So all this time, mind you, these people are still going nutty. It's not like everybody went home and calmed down. There's still a riot going on. I don't know if they're beating each other. They're breaking, you know, they're breaking down structures. I mean, we've seen this with, you know, with, with, the, with, with the peaceful protest that turned violent, right? We see that all the time. So this is what's going on simultaneously while, you know, Paul is being detained by this Roman, this Roman guard. So there's a lot going on in this sequence right here. Paul stood on the stairs and he motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence or a great hush, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. This was a very dramatic moment. Paul standing there on the stairs overlooking the masses over the courtyard of the Temple Mount. He made a dramatic sweep of his hand and the angry rioting mob fell silent. Once they heard him speak, because they realized, wow, he is one of us. How does he how how can he speak in this manner? How 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 does he know this unless he's one of us? Then Paul spoke to them in the Hebrew language identifying himself with the Jewish audience not with his Roman protectors. This was an opportunity that Paul had been waiting a lifetime for. He had an incredible passion for the salvation of his fellow Jews and he had probably thought to himself that he was unique, uniquely excuse me, qualified to effectively communicate to them the gospel message if he only had the right opportunity. This is crazy because I'm sure he never thought that the perfect opportunity would come in the form of being beaten and thrown in jail. That's how you're going to speak to the people, right? 
I, I'm not, this not going to happen. The application is this. Again, we see this theme of the worst situations producing the most good. Take this personal. When you think of your own life today, some of the worst situations you have ever faced were allowed by God in your life so there could be a ripe harvest of souls for His kingdom produced by it. Out of great persecution, the church grows. And you just, again, you have to think of your own life. What, are, what is it that you're going through now that's very difficult and trying? There is something that the Lord wants to produce out of that difficult situation. There may be souls that get saved that would have never got saved any other way had not this difficult circumstance come into your life, right? I would not be standing before you now had I not been hit by a car when I was 24 and in a coma for two weeks straight. And after that, got out and my homies that picked me up, I was smoking weed in the, in, in, in the wheelchair going out of the hospital. And I still continued. I didn't even wisen up after that. I got hit by a car again. That time I didn't have to go to the hospital, but it still hurt. An old lady hit me going like 20-something miles per hour. And still after that, just years and years and years of nonsense. Praise God that he had favor upon my life and said, you know what? Even though you're a knucklehead, I have a purpose for your life. And I'm not going to let you die until you live out your ordained purpose for your life. But I will say this. If we keep flirting with death and keep flirting with sin, there can come a time where the Lord gives us over. I have heard the Lord's voice. I really believe this was Him a long time ago letting me know if I did not change my ways. This was after the second DUI I got in 2010. I've been sober since then. He told me that time because I had been through all this other stuff prior. If I don't give, if I don't give my life to him for real, I'm, I was not going to live out the the ordain, you know, my ordained time on this planet. Hence, that was it. I don't mean to make it. I'm not making it about me. That's just an example of again, the worst of situations can bring out many miracles only if you submit your life to the Lord. All right, this is. I'll end with this. There are many similarities between Jesus and Paul as shown in Acts chapter 20 and, and, and Acts chapter 21. And maybe this is the reason why so many people gravitate to Paul. Because there are so much similarities between what Paul went through and what Jesus went through. In no way is Paul a substitute for Jesus Christ, but an example of how we should live to emulate the example of Christ in our lives. Here are some of these examples just for us to take a look at, and I'll name a few. Like Jesus, Paul traveled to Jerusalem with a group of disciples. Like Jesus, Paul had opposition from hostile Jews who plotted against his life. Like Jesus, Paul made or received three successive predictions of his coming suffering in Jerusalem, included being handed over to the Gentiles. Like Jesus, Paul had followed Paul had followers who tried to discourage him going to Jerusalem because they didn't want him to get hurt. Like Jesus, Paul declared his readiness to lay down his life. Like Jesus, Paul was determined to complete his ministry and not be deflected from it. Like Jesus, Paul expressed his abandonment to the will of God alone. Like Jesus, Paul came to Jerusalem to give something. Like Jesus, Paul was unjustly arrested on the basis of false accusations. 
Like Jesus, Paul alone was arrested, but none of his companions were. Like Jesus, Paul heard the mob crying out away with him. Like Jesus, the Roman officer handed Paul's case over and he didn't know his true identity. Like Jesus Christ, Paul was associated with a terrorist by a Roman officer. In a way, Paul really did know and live out Philippians 3 verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him to his death. Paul's particular call to ministry makes these similarities especially striking. We are called to follow after Jesus Christ too. So we shouldn't be surprised when events in our lives are like the ones in Jesus' life. There may be a time of temptation in the wilderness for us. There may be a time when people come to us with needs that only God can meet. A time when we see, when we seem at the mercy of a storm. There may be times when we must cry out to God like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. There may be a time when we must simply lay down our lives and trust God will gloriously raise us up and trust in Him alone. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for the fact that You keep us, Lord. It's not us. We don't keep ourselves alive. We don't keep our souls safe. It's You. You reveal Your truth to us, and You show us where to go and how to do it. Lord, may You help us to not judge a book by its cover, but to see what is the fruit of an individual and base our judgment off of that. Lord, may you help us to not become weary and blame you, you or ourselves or others in our circumstances when they are not favorable. But may we look for an opportunity to see you shine brightly despite the difficult circumstances we go through. And Lord, may you help us to realize that you are sovereign and in control of all things. May we put our faith in you and you alone, not our money, not our health, not our family, not our government but the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.